As artists and artistic researchers, I strongly believe that we have immense power to challenge and deconstruct the colonial gaze that has historically exoticized and objectified African art by asserting our agency, our autonomy and authorship. We can reclaim all these narratives by surrounding our own cultural heritage and correct the stereotypes and misconceptions perpetrated by Eurocentric discourse. Welcome to the latest podcast in our Arts Research Africa Dialogue series. These dialogues are intended to stimulate practice, enable research, and inspire collective engagement around the question of artistic research in Africa. I'm Prof. Christo Doherty, the Chair of Research in the Witz School of Arts. In this dialogue, I'll be speaking to Dr. Sela Ajay, a multidisciplinary artist, researcher, and curator from Ghana. Sela has degrees in communication design and African art and culture from the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, and received his PhD in African Studies from the University of Ghana, Legon. He is currently a lecturer at the University of Media, Arts and Communication in Ghana. He has participated in over 20 exhibitions and curated several high-profile exhibitions and art festivals. His latest exhibition, Zado Kelly, the Iwe word for eclipse, is a collaboration with the poets Mawuli Adze and Ilikplim Akoli. It opens on the 25th of May at the Museum of Science and Technology in Accra. For those of us not able to get to Accra, a number of selected paintings from the Black Power series in the exhibition, complemented by Elekplim Akoli's spoken word poetry, will form a virtual component of the exhibition in order to reach a wider global audience. Seller's work as an artistic researcher first came to my attention with a paper he presented at the ARA 2020 conference in Johannesburg. Entitled The Philosophy of Art in Iwe Vodou Religion, his paper described his engagement with the Iwe Vodou belief system through a combination of autoethnography and his own artistic practice. In the field of artistic research, which is so dominated by paradigms developed in the global north, Seller's paper was a flash of light from a genuinely African perspective. Not only did Seller's paper seek to integrate African art, philosophy, and indigenous knowledge systems into modern art practices, he also described the spiritual paradigm shift that he went through as a result of his artistic research. In this conversation, we explore Seller's journey as an artist and researcher and examine the challenge of engaging with forms of esoteric knowledge in Africa that do not reveal themselves to outsiders. We also look at the impact of the American Black Lives Matter and the NSARS protests in Nigeria on Seller's work and how this manifests in his latest collaborative exhibition, Zero Kelly. Stella, it's a great pleasure and honor to have you on this podcast. We've been trying to set this up for a while and now it's happening. I'm really happy about that. And I also appreciate you making the time because I know your new exhibition, Zaro Kelly, meaning Eclipse, is just about to open in Accra. And hopefully we'll hear more about that exhibition, which is a collaborative project between yourself and poets, I understand. But Let's start with your background, your biography, and what led you to art practice. All right, Crystal, thanks for having me. 
I'm sure you've heard this story over and over again, um, how artists became professional in their practice. So I'll start by saying I started creating things with my hand at a very early stage. During kindergarten, we had a lot of time creating stuff doing arts and crafts and what I really remember was we used to create fluffy balls with uh, discarded plastic bags, right? So we created doodles, scribblings, papier-mâché, clay sculptures and, you know, generally building all these uh, interesting things with our hands. Uh, I could build my own kites at a very early stage and we designed our own board games because we didn't have social media and uh, video games where, you know, only accessible to wealthy children. So we created very interesting games and artistic stuff with our hands. And I also remember um, being able to draw at a very early stage. I, I was uh, tracing from storybooks that my dad would buy for me. And then the 90s educational curriculum in Ghana had a lot of arts component to it, right? So we had what we call vocational skills and then we had life skills as well so in life skills you learn how to do a lot of textile stuff and what we call needlework sewing our own aprons sewing our own tote bags and creating applique design and then in vocational skills we did a lot of arts that were connected to the traditional arts right creating calabash art we, we created uh, stencils and uh, engravings on calabash and polished it so all this thing that I was doing at a very early stage psyched me up and opened me up to an awareness that I had a lot of creative energy in me that uh, I needed to develop. And I was also the student that the science teacher will call to come and draw illustrations on the board when they are teaching science subject that uh, had diagrams in it. So I went draw the part of a flower a plant, an animal on the board because the teacher was only a trained teacher. They, they weren't artists and everybody knew I was the artist in the class. But then moving forward, I really developed my creative skills. I, I was particularly interested in design and painting. So when I was going to the university, I actually applied to study painting and sculpture, but I was offered communication design. And for me, that was not too fulfilling. So after that program, I taught myself painting. I didn't pursue painting and sculpture in school. Everything I know about art is self-taught. Though the communication design program had some creative components, some art components in it, they mainly focused on design. So that's why I took a deep interest in studying African art history, African philosophy, African aesthetics for myself. So I did a master's degree in African art and culture, which even exposed me more to the broader perspectives of African art history. But then the main push that got me into painting as a professional career was an experience I had. So my dad has a colleague who is uh, one of Ghana's famous artists. His name is Wiz Kudowo. And Wiz was my dad's classmate in high school, the same high school I attended, Keta Senior High School, which is the same high school Professor Elanachi also attended. So we had a party, a get-together at home, and this was, I think, just before I finished university. So I had done some portraits, and I used to do a lot of figure-drawing portraits in school to earn some money on the side. So I exhibited some of the portraits that I had done, which were in my portfolio, and then works I had done from school in my bedroom. And then I invited uh, 
and some of my dad's friends to come and look at it and Wiz came and he saw it and he was like oh I'm really good and I should build a career in painting because he sees that I have very strong artistic skills so that's was the push i got the motivation first and foremost from ways to take up painting as a full career so this is just an overview of how my artistic talents have developed over the ages thank you Silla. i think it's a good point to discuss the paper that you gave at the ara 2020 conference and in that paper you spoke about your engagement with iwe vodu belief systems through a deployment of your own artistic practice and autoethnography. And for me as a South African, I found that a particularly interesting paper at that conference because you were using your artistic practice to actually engage with your own heritage, your own belief systems, but systems that I've understood from your paper, you had become quite alienated from through the result of schooling. I mean, in that paper, you spoke about how as young school children, you were very weary of the Iwe Vodou statues and places like the traditional graveyards. But through your actual artistic practice, you were able to reach a much more satisfying and I think rich engagement with those traditions. Could you talk about that paper and maybe also give our listeners some background on the Iwe and how they fit into Ghanaian post-independence society? Because I believe that not all the Iwe are even in Ghana. I mean, the majority live in Ghana, but there are also Iwe that live in Togo, that live in the surrounding nation states. The real legacy of the colonial nation state was breaking up pre-colonial people. So could you give us that background and then talk more specifically about the experiences that you wrote about in your paper at the ARA conference? Yes, thank you very much. I think I will begin with two key words that you mentioned, right? You said satisfying and rich engagement. I think that summarizes the feeling I got after pursuing my doctoral research in voodoo art and philosophy. But I'll begin by giving a history of the kind of experience I had studying communication design in KNUS. Remember earlier on, I said I actually wanted to go and study painting and sculpture. And my dad, then he was a lecturer at the English department in University of Ghana. And he wanted me to do arts, but I think he was more interested in me doing something that required a lot of reading because he thought I lacked reading skills, you know, growing up a lot. So he wanted to push me into a course that would let me read. So we had, you know, some debates. He wanted me to study publishing studies. And then I wanted to do something more practical, more arts oriented, right? So when I went to KNUSC and I was offered communication design, I was a bit disappointed, not because the course is not a good course, it's a great course. And even looking back, I think it was important for me to take that course as part of my life journey, right? So I was dissatisfied with the course in the sense that it didn't meet the expectations I had because I wanted to do something along the lines of painting and sculpture. And I had the chance to switch after first year, but my dad won't let me. He said, once I've started the communication design, I should just go ahead and pursue that course and finish. So I remember I used to 
skip class. I used to run away from my class and go to the painting and sculpture department because that's where my soul was. I, I, I would see people painting and doing the very things that I wanted to do for my university degree. And then we're just neighbors in the College of Arts in KNUSC. So the painting and sculpture department was just a building away from each other. So we know each other. We see each other. The lecturers are familiar to us. So I, that's how come I could go and stay in their class and people wouldn't even notice that I'm a communication design student. And for me, I found that quite fulfilling because I learned some of the things I wanted to learn from my friends who are doing painting and sculpture. But then it tells you that the curriculum that we are running in our programs, you know, within our art institutions in African universities are lacking in so many regards, right? Because even if I, I was studying communication design and I didn't get to study painting and sculpture. The course should be structured in such a way that indigenous designs are put in the forefront of whatever course that we do in the communication design. But we're in a program where a lot of the assignments and the readings and the tasks that we're given to do was largely rooted in European design, European style design. But I remember our lecturer, his name is Professor Eric Francis Eshen. I think he also gave me a clue that connected Edinkra symbols and Edinkra designs to modern design. And I remember he said in class a couple of times that all these theories and ideas and design concepts that we are learning from these European textbooks or European concepts are already embedded in our indigenous designs, right? So that alone for me gave me a push to do more research into some of these designs. And over the years, I've also been researching into indigenous designs apart from the voodoo arts that I was really interested in. And back to the voodoo, Arts. I would say my engagement with urban voodoo art was largely shaped by what I just explained, the inadequacy that I felt after pursuing my first degree in communication design because I always found the need to fill this creative void within me that made me feel quite incomplete until I started studying and researching urban voodoo art and philosophy. And this artistic research journey gave me an edge, a realization and an awakening that guided me to my life's real purpose, which is essentially to serve humanity with the esoteric knowledge that I'm here to share with the world. Because the ever people believe in the concept of predestination and transmigration of the soul. So what I mean by predestination is anything you are set to achieve within your lifetime within this universe has already been pre-planned. The blueprint to your entire life journey was already drafted by the supreme being, which is Mausobolisa and the deities in the higher spiritual planes in commune with your own personal God of destinies. So if you stray away from this blueprint, you encounter problems and many obstacles in life. And so once I saw the signs and realized I wasn't on the path laid out for me in my life's blueprints, I did some serious soul searching and this led me to the others research I pursued for my doctoral degree. And through this entire learning process, I learned a lot about myself. I discovered that an exposure to sacred voodoo aesthetics and voodoo ceremonies that I immersed myself in gave my life more meaning and value. And this learning experience also greatly reshaped my thinking about art, about philosophy. 
and it significantly enhanced my academic career and professional artistic practice. So my research journey began through questioning. I did a lot of questioning. I, I remember when I go to the village, I'll ask my uncles, my elders, and the priestesses, and the spirit mediums, and the diviners, and uh, you know all those uh, people we call the indigenous knowledge holders. I will ask them questions about the kind of art that is used in the shrine. Like simple questions emerge in my conversations with some of these knowledge holders who will be what they consider as art in Voodoo Shrine, what artistic expressions implied in sacred Voodoo spaces and what kind of spiritual dimensions do ever Voodoo sculptures possess. And this shaped my understanding of the purity, the power of African art, because you realize that our people don't create art solely for art's sake. There are some functional and philosophical dimensions to the kind of art that they create because it's first and foremost to serve humanity, right? So my data collection process was mainly driven by some of these artistic research methods. And throughout my data collection process, I not only engaged with my research associates in interviews and focus group discussions, but I fully immersed myself in the creative process because artistic research methods sometimes allows you to be a participant, be part of the creative process itself. And through this process, I learned a whole lot of creative methodologies and aesthetic rules and aesthetic laws that were ordained by the deities themselves. Because in the voodoo creative space, the deities are the ones who guide the artist. As an artist, you are first and foremost serving the deities. You are reporting to the deities. So you create art to their pleasure or to their aesthetic delights. And what I found particularly interesting in that paper of yours, and it's an insight that's been echoed by my colleague here in Johannesburg, Jessica Foley, is this mission where young artists seek to research traditional knowledge systems through artistic investigation does sometimes run into the difficulty of accessing esoteric knowledge and esoteric knowledge that the holders, the elders, the spiritual figures who have that esoteric knowledge are not keen to give up that knowledge, of not keen to share that knowledge with just a contemporary young artist who wants to draw strength from investigating such knowledge systems, that these knowledge systems, much about them is kept secret from ordinary people and is only available to those who are initiates in the knowledge system. How have you dealt with that? Because I believe that is an aspect of Iwe art and culture and knowledge systems. Absolutely. I think you are right in so many regards. First of all, let's even look at the word esoteric. Esoteric in itself, if we say a knowledge system is esoteric, then it means that only a certain class or caliber of people can access that knowledge. And it's for a particular reason, right? Because just as in academia, you have to go through a certain process to acquire a PhD. It's not conferred onto just about anybody who hasn't built the requisite intellectual rigor or research skills to have that label put on their professional expertise, right? So 
in terms of spiritual knowledge and esoteric knowledge there are measures that are put in place to prevent people who are not spiritually trained from accessing these knowledge systems because these are very powerful knowledge systems that can potentially be misused or be used to create if you will disharmony in social circles and voodoo is mostly about maintaining law and order so if you are not socially built or socially trained or spiritually trained in that regard to be able to hold this power that is meant to create balance and harmony in society then of course that knowledge you'll be denied access to that knowledge so i know people whose parents were priests voodoo priests and they will not pass on the knowledge to their own sons and daughters because they feel their own children have not attained that spiritual purity or that level of spiritual development to hold the kind of knowledge they want to pass on to them so they would rather die and reveal that the knowledge start training their own children or who is next in line to be priests or priestesses from the afterlife so th th these knowledge systems are revealed to these people through visitations revelations reveries and all these esoteric means of communication and back to your question of artists and people having difficulty to access these types of knowledge systems, I would first of all say it's a calling. Just as priests and priestesses are spiritually called, they are handpicked and selected by the deities to serve as mediums and intermediaries between our world of the physical and their world of the spiritual. Artists within sacred voodoo spaces are also called and they are mostly called to offer their creative services in honor of the deities that they serve so if you go to the shrines the artists who are reserved to create the shrine murals and create art related materials for the shrine they are first and foremost working in service for the shrine and the deities the commercial aspect is not the central focus of their artistic production. Their artistic production is first and foremost to serve the deities and the shrine. In this sense, not every art form and aesthetic tradition will be readily accessible to non-Voodoo adherents or contemporary artists who have not been called to serve as spiritual messengers in that capacity. You understand? And I must also add that Engaging with forms of esoteric knowledge that are not readily accessible to everyone but belong to those within traditional voodoo belief system presents a unique challenge, uh, as you've mentioned, for contemporary artists seeking to draw upon these rich sources of creative knowledge. Because voodoo is deeply rooted in cultural and historical context of its practitioners, making it inaccessible to outsiders without proper initiation, proper spiritual experience, and a deep understanding of voodoo rites and rituals. So for many contemporary artists, this might present both challenges and opportunities. The esoteric nature of the knowledge production and the creative expression within voodoo belief system creates a rewarding and an appealing sense of 
cultural authenticity for contemporary artists. So through this notion of cultural diversity and reclamation of our neglected cultural values, we find many artists in Africa trying to relaunch their creative careers and develop their own unique aesthetic language by incorporating some of these artistic elements and cultural heritage into their work. By delving into voodoo esoteric knowledge systems, artists have a great potential to tap into a profound spiritual tradition that has been passed down through generations and generations upon apprenticeship and pedagogy that our elders have laid down for us. And of course, the tendency to incorporate all these creative elements and authenticity and rich cultural layers to their artistic expression is immeasurable. So indeed, contemporary artists have a lot to learn from some of these rich traditions. And this may involve even blending voodoo aesthetics with studio techniques, mediums, or experimental conceptual frameworks to create meaningful artworks that are really tied to our African roots, our African culture. But despite all these initiatives and these issues that I've outlined, the real challenge lies in navigating the ethical and a respectful engagement with the voodoo knowledge system itself. Because it's not an ordinary knowledge system, it's esoteric, it's sacred. Voodoo is so vast in its esoteric scope that it holds so much great power and significance for its adherence. And due to the negative image that has been cast on voodoo over the centuries, it is important for contemporary artists to approach voodoo art with care and sensitivity by acknowledging the beliefs, respecting the customs, adhering to all the necessary rights and ideas that undergird the creative production process. So this means that if you are a contemporary artist and you want to engage with some of these knowledge systems, the first and foremost prerequisite is a respectful engagement, which means building a healthy rapport and establishing meaningful relationships with the voodoo practitioners, seeking the permission of the elders, the priests, the priestesses, and immersing yourself into the cultural context to gain a deeper understanding of the knowledge being drawn upon. Because I've encountered a lot of people, some of them are my colleagues in, within the contemporary art scene in Ghana and elsewhere, and they are so fascinated about voodoo. They are drawn to voodoo because they see voodoo as exotic or something that's mysterious. And they want to ride on this kind of exoticism to be able to create some buzz around their work. But that's not the kind of engagement these practitioners want to be dealing with. They want people who really have a deep appreciation for their culture, their roots, and African history. So in this sense, acknowledging the origins of the creative knowledge that I personally gleaned through my artistic research was an important step in ensuring a more equitable and respectful engagement with the source community I engaged with during my many collaborations that I formed with the Voodoo practitioners to learn from them. Right? So I have tons of images, tons of photos that I took from the shrines and all that. I have not made these images a sales bank that I'm selling you know, to uh, image banks like Getty Images and all those things because even if any revenue should be generated from the images that I took and things that I've learned, there must be 
something that I give back to the source community because these are people who give their knowledge systems to me free of charge and they were very accommodating and tolerant to my research interests. So if I should be a successful artist, I think the honors lies on me to also contribute, you know, to some level of developmental projects within the community. And I'm in talks with some of the elders to use the knowledge that I have gained and to establish myself as a contemporary artist to also, in a way, give back to the source community. So these are so many layers of engagements that contemporary artists need to be reflecting on if they want to tap into some of these knowledge systems. It's not like a vault where you go and pick and go and then you, you are using the knowledge that you got solely for commercial purposes. That's not the kind of engagement these people want to be dealing with. So I'm sure that's one of the reasons why um, it's, it's, uh, the, the knowledge system is inaccessible to some of these contemporary artists because of the kind of posture that uh, they assume when they want to tap into some of these knowledge systems. You ought to be someone who has a genuine interest in learning about your culture and then living with the people, interacting with them, and also immersing yourself deeply into the tradition. Sila, so I want to just push you a bit further because also in your paper you spoke about your own background in Western anthropological approaches to Iwe culture and beliefs, and that you actually found this book knowledge quite an obstacle to the engagement that you were seeking. And your artistic practice by working as an artist with Iwe voodoo priests, priestesses, sharing in their activities, but through your art, that seemed to be in a way to bypass or break down these anthropological perspectives that were in fact a limitation in the kind of engagement that you were seeking through your artistic research. Can you speak to that? So I will build upon what I just said in response to your previous question. And it's largely due to this soul-searching journey that I've been embarking on ever since I found my life's true purpose, right? And over the last decade, I've been seriously researching into ever voodoo religion. And my main goal in this creative journey was to have a deeper sense of appreciation and understanding of the fundamental philosophy that undergirds voodoo art. Because I felt embarrassed you know, to uh, a certain level that I knew all about European art movements. I knew all about the, you know, isms of art, 20th century modernism and all these European concepts about art. And to my surprise, after obtaining a degree, you know, from the College of Art in an African university, I, I knew very little about the arts forms coming from my own community, my own background. And I, I felt intellectually robbed. So there was this urgent need for me to access these important knowledge systems to make my creative soul complete again. And my spiritual journey uh, actually began two decades ago, like I said earlier on, when I was uh, a high school student in Keta Senior High School. And I remember 
encountering voodoo sculptures for the first time in front of people's homes, in front of shrines, and being a child raised as a Catholic in Accra where you barely saw some of these things in some of the gated communities and the flats that we grew up in. It was a cultural shift for me, despite the fact that I was Ghanaian, I come from Volta region, I'm an Ever, and these were the art forms of our people, right? These are art forms that you were indoctrinated not to go too close to, right? There were all kinds of, you know, superstitious beliefs about voodoo arts and all that. And for me, I simply saw them as interesting artworks that needed to be appreciated because these are the art forms of the people. This is their creative skills that they've exhibited. And I think it's only wise for me as somebody studying art to also be interested in these art forms because this is what we also have to offer to the world. We all can't speak the same aesthetic language all over the world. We all can create the same art. We all can produce the same art, but we all have this innate creative spirit to create. And these are art forms that our people also create. So, like I said, voodoo artists are artists who are tasked by the spirits, by the deities, to create their art forms, a specific purpose. And this purpose is first and foremost to serve humanity. So in this sense, what I experienced or the kind of realization that I came to was the fact that the kind of art forms that I learned to produce, which I was excelling at in the first place, was an art form that was meant to serve my community. And once I realized that, I started focusing my research, my gaze towards some of these creative schools and creative methodologies within my own community. So I came across this concept by a Ghanaian philosopher. His name is William Abraham. And in his book, he talks about the African artists being an artist who assumes a priest-like role which positions him or her to serve as a medium tasked to invoke the spiritual energies, concretize unseen forces, and channel spiritual messages and communicate with the deities and the ancestors. So the African artist is in essence what William Abraham describes as a vital link to bridge the gap between the unknown spiritual world and the physical world. And so when I speak of the research process that I embark in and I talk about concepts like a spiritual paradigm shift in my doctoral research, I'm making reference to the new role that I have assumed as an artist who has gone through the decolonial mill to tap into these sacred knowledge systems, sacred voodoo aesthetics, and to realize this true goal of being one of the artists chosen by the deities to serve humanity in an honor, that for me was fulfilling. And I think that's what you call satisfying and a rich experience because then my life started making more meaning to me because I think I was confused as an artist being able to do a lot of things in design, in photography, new media, animation, and all these things. And then I still didn't find my life's true purpose until I started engaging seriously with voodoo art. So I would also say in, in this sense, as an artist, I've realized that I myself am also first and foremost at the service of my ancestors and the deities 
who communicates with me in these abstract esoteric forms that manifest as the paintings you see in the Zado Kelly exhibition. And I got this realization through the kind of works that I was beginning to create. Because if you look at the history of my paintings, I was mostly doing realistic art. I was illustrating children's books. I was creating any other thing apart from voodoo art. And there's a radical shift in my creative expression. If you follow the kind of my portfolio, you realize that from 2012, 2013 upwards, my works started looking entirely different because of this new spiritual path, this creative journey that I was embarking on. And I haven't stopped illustrating children's books. I haven't stopped creating designs. I now actually teach design to my students and I still design my own flyers. I design my own books when I'm doing the exhibitions. I design anything, but then that's not my main focus now. My main focus is producing voodoo art based on these esoteric engagements with the kind of spiritual encounters that i have experienced over the past years and i would also say that these esoteric experiences and the creative methodologies and the mystical connections that i'm speaking of they can only be properly understood and appreciated through the perspective of anglo ever spiritual beliefs and the concept of destiny because we believe that Everyone here in this universe has a unique purpose to serve humanity. And of course, it wasn't an easy journey for me. But in the end, my spiritual life, my creative practice, and my general worldview has greatly been expanded through this doctoral research that I pursued. And that's what I meant by this whole notion of the spiritual paradigm shift. Because if I had not heeded this soul-searching call and still continued on this uh, on the previous artistic career path that i was embarking on i'll still be a confused directionless artist simply because my life's purpose is hinged to the blueprints that i have to follow and i think through the doctoral research i found the blueprint and that's the plan the path i'm working on now I think that would resonate with the experience of definitely some of our listeners from elsewhere on the continent. But Stella, let's let's look at your latest work, which is about to go public on the 25th of May in Accra at the Museum of Science and Technology. And it has the title Zado Kelly. You've mentioned it. But can you just talk to us about what concept this is, what is the meaning of Zado Kelly, particularly in Ewe Vodou cosmology. And you've kindly sent me a lot of the material that's going to appear in this exhibition, and it's very powerful, very powerful work visually. It seems to me that you've moved perhaps away from those traditional belief systems that you were exploring in the earlier phase of your art, related to your PhD researchers, and you've moved into what is more recognizably protest art that's engaging with global traditions, notably African-American traditions of protest art. Can you talk to us about that? 
Thank you. So yes, I'll start by speaking briefly about Zadokeli. So Zadokeli, indeed, like you said, it dwells on indigenous knowledge system and is also deeply influenced by sacred voodoo aesthetics. So this new collection of paintings for my upcoming exhibition is collectively themed Zadokeli, which is the same title that animates my father's new poetry anthology. Now the word Zadokeli means eclipse of the sun in the ever language and in the ever worldview an eclipse whether solar or lunar is of deep spiritual significance and is not perceived as an ordinary event that occurs you know in the universe but rather we ever people in our culture in our spiritual beliefs we see the eclipse as a mystery of metaphysical dimension and is a reminder that the rhythm of existence on this planet, as my dad will explain to you, could be occasionally disrupted when the supreme being, Mausobolisa, announces himself through the medium of the paranormal, which can also be linked to some of the many unfortunate incidents that befell black communities during the COVID-19 pandemic period. And in the event of an eclipse, you find priests and priestesses pouring libations, divining to seek answers, and then offering prayers to the higher spiritual beings to get answers to this paranormal events that they are experiencing. And these esoteric knowledge holders engage with the divinities in the sense that they are seeking to restore normal cosmic order through some of these propitiation rites that I mentioned, like divining and pouring libation and all that. And linking this to 2020, the COVID pandemic, especially during the lockdown, we experienced a lot of police brutality, right? But what a lot of people don't realize is, indeed, in 2020, we experienced about six eclipses across the world. Within a year, there were four lunar eclipses one total eclipse and one annular solar eclipse in all. And the first eclipse occurred in 2020, just before WHO declared COVID-19 as a pandemic. I think the first eclipse happened between 10th and 11th January. And the Zadukeli exhibition, in this sense, it visually expands this metaphoric picture that I'm painting here analogizing black predicament with a recurring image of a gloomy eclipse. So my role here as a contemporary artist drawing links between the 2020 eclipse and the rise in anti-black violence and injustice positions me among some of these far-seeing priests, diviners and knowledge holders who are trying to seek answers in an effort to restore both cosmic and social order. And so through my efforts, my forthcoming exhibition is in a way a visual representation of what the priests will normally do in their performative actions by pouring libations and asking for answers. And indeed, over the last few years, we've witnessed a lot of street protests and demands for racial justice by activists who are looking to draw authorities' attention to racism, police brutality and the mistreatment of African people all over the world, from the violent police shootings of Africans in America, and then also police brutalities that we also experience right here on the African continent. We are unable to draw the links, but these things are happening within black communities at the same time. And this Zadokeli exhibition is in a way a move to draw people's attention 
to some of these things that we only hear about in the news and then once the news channels run the story we forget about it but then there are interesting connections there are metaphysical connections there are spiritual connections that this Zadokeli exhibition draws our attention to and we can also link you know the protest arts that you speak of in my work this new development that we are speaking of to fanon's notion of what he calls the catharsis eh? and in black skin white marks fanon reminds us that in every society there exists a channel which is an outlet through which forces of accumulated aggression can be released and powerful arts is one of these channels through which these forces of accumulated aggression can be freely released. So my ongoing series, The Hunter Hunter, The Black Power, Fragments, Zadokeli, Simulations, and SARS, they generally reflect all these recurring social problems in contemporary society back to the public for introspection and deep contemplation. So the goal here is to essentially use my work to carefully draw public attention to these critical issues and to also evoke the basic human emotions in response to these problems. In this sense, my art becomes agency, making it a very powerful medium for people to reflect on their actions, especially law enforcement agents, politicians, policy makers, and generally people who are intolerant of other races, other ethnicities, and people in minority groups, you understand? So for me, Zadokeli is to raise awareness and to also spark serious conversations about issues like police brutalities, which feature a lot in the Zadokeli exhibitions. And I create these pieces as thought-provoking conversation icebreakers for people to actually talk about them and feel the pain and the suffering that the people of African descent go through when they experience police brutality and all forms of violence against the black body. So when you see protests, when you see works that are connected to violence in my work, it's just a mere reflection of what is happening in society. I can't go about and, you know, be painting narrow representations of black people, you know, sitting in, in a bar, chilling, wearing fancy suits and Adidas and, you know, all these kinds of strange representations we see in the white cube galleries these days. Why are we not seeing a true representation of what is happening in society? This is what Zado Kelly exhibition is about. And Sela, just a final question to wrap up and for us to reflect on going forward. What role do African artists and the use of artistic research by African artists have to play in changing the power dynamics in the social history of art? That's a phrase of yours, changing the power dynamics in the social history of art. Can you reflect on that? Thank you. Well, I think being an artist and a researcher puts me particularly in a unique position to play a crucial role in changing the power dynamics as you phrase it and over the past few centuries the narratives and the discourses in the art world have largely been dominated by prescriptive western methodologies and art theories which are still perpetrating an eurocentric bias and marginalizing the contributions of african artists and cultures and that's one of the main issues i address in a few of the chapters in my own doctoral research and apart from the presentation i did at the 2020 ara conference i also published 
an article in the Garage Journal challenging some of the long-standing Eurocentric discourses within the field of aesthetics. And in this article, what I did was to critically examine the contributions of African art to the rise of global modernism in art. Why? Because modernism as a concept in art history has been politicized and remains attributed to Western male artists, which completely ignores the creative contributions of African women in indigenous societies. And these academic lapses drove the need for me to conduct more critical research, analysis, and documentation. And so with this process, I think reclaiming our silenced voices by boldly challenging some of these established narratives and offering alternative perspectives in terms of publishing and exhibiting our artistic tradition to the global art communities. African artists and artistic research can significantly reshape the social history of art in diverse ways. And through the works that I present in my art exhibitions, I'm putting all these works into action by reasserting the several layers of African identities. I'm also expressing the lived experiences of African people. I'm also engaging with the complexities of African art history and all these sociocultural issues that my work highlights. So as artists and artistic researchers, I strongly believe that we have immense power to challenge and deconstruct the colonial gaze that has historically exoticized and objectified African art by asserting our agency, our autonomy and authorship. We can reclaim all these narratives by surrounding our own cultural heritage and correct the stereotypes and misconceptions perpetrated by Eurocentric discourse. And, and this was a key point that Professor Behanu uh, Ashegri emphasized during his closing remarks at the 2020 Arab Conference when he said that as artists and intellectuals, our struggle should not be about becoming avant-garde through our ideas and creative engagements. And he goes on to say that the vanguard theory should not be our concern anymore because it is not ours and it doesn't work for us. We as artists and intellectuals, mainly based inside research institutes, should redefine ourselves differently. You understand? The key word is to redefine ourselves differently. And this has been the main intellectual discourse within African art circles. And Sylvester Ogbechi also has a brilliant article titled The Curator as a Cultural Broker. And he's essentially echoing the same remarks and sentiments that Professor Ashegri expressed during his closing remarks at the Arab Conference. So I think this can help in so many ways in constructing a more comprehensive and nuanced understanding of the social history of arts that recognizes the richness and the diversity of artistic expressions from the African continent. And as African artists and artistic researchers, we also have the potential to challenge power imbalances within the art world itself. And so through all these creative initiatives, I strongly believe that we can reshape the social history of art and foster a greater understanding and appreciation of the richness and the complexities of African artistic expressions. Thank you.
Silla, those are inspiring words, and I hope they can give encouragement to other artistic researchers working across the continent. So thank you very much for your time, for talking to me about your ideas, about the development of your artistic practice. And I really wish you all the best with this new exhibition of yours, Zado Kelly, Eclipse, and look forward to hearing how it's received in Accra. And Hopefully it can continue to take forward the, the kind of vision that you've been articulating in this discussion. So, Sela, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Crystal. You've been listening to a dialogue between myself, Crystal Doherty, the Chair of Research in the Witz School of Arts, and my guest, Sela Ajay. This podcast was hosted and produced by myself with technical production by Elna Schutz. The music for this podcast was composed and performed by Lee Rosvier and is used under a Creative Commons license. <laughs>